Hey, Mark. Nice to meet you once again. Rory in the flesh. Yeah. And we're in a new studio as well. We are. Brand new place. It's pretty cool. I can't stop smiling. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's an improvement to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like this one. I do. I do. I do. It's a bit closer as well to home. It so. is. It is. So, mate, yeah, yeah sweet. So obviously this week we uh, want to talk about bricks. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the questions we had last week in the comments. Yeah, uh, we filled the first one in about sort of Chinese petrol petrol yeah. yuan. This week people want to know a bit about the bricks. You know, bricks isn't really a new again, kind of like petrol yuan isn't really a new topic. No, but something that's starting to come up again, especially as a lot of trade starting to move from west to east. Activity 100%. in the east is starting to pick up politically and. You know, yeah, you're bang on, and this kind of follows on nicely, obviously, from the Petro Yuan sort of conversation that we had yeah, I think uh, it does. last week. Uh, obviously, for those that don't know, BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South America. I mean, there's been other, in, you know, sort of uh, connotations, annotations associated with emerging markets. There was also Mint as well. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria, and T. Struggling yeah. here. It's Where is Thailand? Turkey. Turkey, that's Turkey, it, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Ross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, super interesting. Obviously, 2022, it was dollar-denominated. And obviously, with the reopening of China, again, kind of moving on from, you know, the Petro Yuan conversation, Yeah, BRICS seem to be, you know, in a very, very interesting space at the minute with regards to, obviously, currency strength and weaknesses china playing a big part in the global picture and obviously with regards to the reopening of that economy russia and ukraine you can't ignore that india coming to the front as you know more of an ally with regards to you know the west in terms of um manufacturing hub Mm -hmm. and you know we can crack open a can of worms all the political sort of turmoil with you know the sort of BRICS and other em countries against developed markets and yeah it's a very interesting space to say the least you know it's there's a lot of content there there's a lot of subject matter so it is definitely i think when it was first introduced around what was it 2001 was it goldman sachs analyst john o'neill i think it was sure you know pointed out that it could be one of the fastest growing sort of economic regions out there and it really is you know if anybody that isn't familiar with BRICS it pretty much is the competitor to the G7 yeah you know that's pretty much what it is although G7 is more westernized of course BRICS is now probably more sort of towards the east you know one thing I was you know I was obviously just doing a bit of research on this as well on top of what we already know one thing I noticed about the BRICS is that it's very very heavily involved in mining yes so if we look at yes if we look at what the western world does compared to like the g7 maybe compared to what the BRICS do Mm. everything there i was looking at is actually down to mining you know if we look at you know brazil obviously they're what mining agri manufacturing yeah yeah you know russia's mining india not so much it's more it servicing consulting china as well and south africa biggest mining country in terms of completely completely agree and you know put simply you know building off what you just said there rory you know you kind of have the Western world, you know, very much tertiary and quaternary sort of sectors, um, you know, business, uh, finance, law, medicine, all that sort of jazz. And then yeah. obviously, you know, the EM slash developing world is very much primary, secondary sort of sectors. Yeah. And as you said, agriculture, mining, you know, raw, raw materials, materials yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah, completely agree with you on that front. And, you know, that is part of the reason why there's such a sort of interest in, um, you know, topic as of recent you know we see a weak dollar um and has been weak you know kind of on the back of terminal rates coming into sight Mm -hmm. and obviously when the dollar's low 
what looks cheap, what looks nice, commodities, right? Commodities, you yeah. know, and across the board, whether that's agri, whether that's, you know, your raw materials in the sense of, you know, gold, silver, iron, or whatever it may be. Sugar, like you were mentioning Absolutely, earlier. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's very, it's very interesting. And I think it plays nicely into obviously, you know, the wider macroeconomic picture with regards to inflation. But ultimately, mm-hmm. as you said, Rory, you've got, your G7s, your developed world, which, you know, we see as westernised. Yeah. And, you know, your BRICs, your mints, your emerging markets, essentially they're, they're in bed with each other as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And one, one aspect of it, you know, your EMs are your manufacturing hubs of the world or your resource hubs of the world. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, your end product end user will more than, more than typically find its way to, you know, a G7, Europe, True. US, whatever kind of. So, you know, very sort of interesting. And obviously, as you said, EM plays a huge part in the global economy in terms of the supply chain. Exactly, yeah. And one thing, you know, I was going to sort of save the question maybe more towards the end, but I think it's a good time to bring it up. Yeah. It's quite a political question, but it's something I thought about. Sure. You know, when I look at what the BRICS is doing and in terms of what their natural resources is, Mm. everything is really energy dependent, commodity dependent. And if we sort of ask anybody from an eastern part of the world, the word climate change isn't a big <laughs> thing. Not, yeah. It's not popular. No. But if you come to the Western world where those commodities and metals aren't really, um, you know, we're not rich in those resources, we're now telling everybody to stop using them. It's a good Do point. Do you think that there's a warfare between westernized countries because we don't have them saying that we see the BRICS, um, by, by the way, this is just an open-ended question to everybody. Mm. It's not, you know, my opinion. I'm just thinking... Do we think that Western countries like the US are saying, well, because we are because the rest of us aren't rich in these commodities, let's stop the BRICS countries from using them so that the other parts of the Western world and other economies won't actually use them and take up. You're teasing out the uh, no. the skeptic in me. Yeah, um, it, it, it is just a skeptical. It's a, gr- it's a great question because obviously when you know it it's one that doesn't have an answer. Let's put it like that. It's true, but yeah. also you know, aside from BRICS, ESG is becoming an ever more uh, prominent question. Even in finance, you know, yep. you have asset managers that part of their criteria when they pick out what to do with their fund and money, you know, certain allocation of that pot has to go to ESG yeah. articulation. There article is ESG like. funds now, you know. Absolutely. E- ESG ETFs. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, you know, the role climate plays in the activities or at least the investment activities within the West, it's becoming ever uh, more prominent uh, it's more in your face now than it was years ago yeah. and you know they're kind of trying to uh, divorce the belief that it's either investing in the climate or sustainability at the expense of return yeah and now they're kind of trying to switch that narrative in the sense that you know you can you can do both you can earn a good return and you can obviously have a positive impact on the yeah. environment but going back to you know your your question I think it's very surface level when, you know, we have, you know, westernized countries, whether it's the UK, US, you know, any country in Europe, again, G7 developed, yeah, um, you know, kind of tarnishing, you know, your EMs with a sort of negative brush in the sense that, you know, these guys are producing X amount of pollution a year. Obviously, the Western world is committed to, you know, 2030 objectives, Paris agreements, you name it. Um, look, the simplicity of it <laughs> is mm-hmm. that, what all manufacturing takes place in developed countries anymore nothing to the extent it used to you know yeah. decades ago sure right? so in terms of obviously the global supply chain it's in it's interconnected as yeah. i said earlier you know we're in bed with one another yeah it's as simple as that 
So as far as, you know, China or, you know, India are concerned with regards to the amount of pollution they're emitting, you know, they're not going to care because as far as they're concerned, you know, they've got a job to do in terms of, you know, producing the goods and materials that is ultimately used in iPhones, cars, you know, white goods, whatever it might be, which ultimately ends their way, finds their way to, you know, the developed world. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. On the surface, you know, it's demonized. And, you know, you kind of wag the finger at these yeah. EMs. But let's be honest, like, I mean, w- what are you going to do? There's no short-term, you know, solution to BRICS finding um, an alternative energy source sure. that can, you know, be implemented into those manufacturing chains right now or next week. I mean, you know, yeah. we're still in the process of doing that. Exactly, yeah. How are we going to turn around to an emerging market that's got a lot more social problems and obviously a typical sort of trait characteristic of EMs are, you know, uh, financial markets not as stable as yeah. developed countries. Uh, legal institutions not as stable as yeah. developed countries. Political systems as well, not really there. And all, you know, and all law this, and order as well. Of wouldn't course, just be. and all the all the other social problems as well. So, in terms of you know bricks and their perception of climate change, I think it's it's on their agenda. Is it the top of their agenda? No, no. it's near the top. I don't think so, but it's on the agenda somewhere. Yeah, you know, if there was ten things on the agenda, I'd say it's probably number seven or number eight. Yeah. Um. So it's an interesting one, and obviously, as you said, look, these you know. Russia, one of the biggest energy exporters in the world. Mm. Are they going to move away from from that anytime soon? I doubt it. Yeah, I, I doubt know. it. And you know, just following on really from what you said, you kind of find that a lot of the Western world now, in terms of this, you know, Gen Z that's coming in. Yeah, you know, they're they're very much interested in all this ESG investing. Yeah, that's true. The, the problem is, is you know, how sustainable really is that? And you know, my question always is, you know, and I'm, I'm going to open it, but I'm not a fan of ESG investing. I don't believe in it. Mm. I think that, you know, people rate Tesla as a very healthy ESG company. Mm. But the fact that they go to these mines in South America, you know, go through the mines to pick out all the lithium, to yeah. put in the car battery, and the fact that your Tesla's charged yeah. by the power station five miles down the road that's still burning coal. No, of course. I mean, can you really say that? No, I completely you know agree with you, Rory. That. Yeah, it's like... And we look at Germany as well. I mean, Germany's very known to be a green country, that yeah. a green party is actually probably quite a big side of the you know political party in Germany mm. as comparison maybe to here in the UK or, or other developed nations. And the fact that they shut off all their nuclear power plants, whether you not you agree or disagree with nuclear, yeah. it's a clean source of energy, at least for the very short to midterm. Yeah. We're not too sure about the extreme long term, but we know that the midterm, it is a very clean source probably the cleanest because yeah. the only thing it gives off is water vapor so the fact that they shut all that down are they really caring you know about esg are they really caring about you know, that side of it it's a tough one and obviously you know that's primarily just picking up on the last bit that you said that's primarily obviously on the back of uh russia ukraine yeah and you know they were caught out there really yeah you know trump told it, them <laughs> would it have been a different story if they stuck to the nuclear i, I think yeah. so I genuinely think so. But, you you know, it's interesting, right? It's like, okay, to what extent are you involved in, um, you know, sustainable investments? So uh, SFDR kind of released these criteria to kind of, um, how would I say, kind of like define the extent of sustainability within said investments. So, for example, like a fund. So the, the two most kind of like how would I say, like the highest regarded sort of um, 
criteria they have at the moment. I could be wrong, but yeah. at least to to my knowledge was Article Eight and Article Nine. Okay. So essentially, what Article Article Eight SFDR simply was stating that the fund has some uh, sustainable objectives. Yeah. Okay. Within its investment activities, right? Yeah. So, for for example, if you are a real estate fund and you're Article Eight, well, then you know you kind of tick your ESG criteria by allocating a certain amount to social housing. You can also meet the criteria by having a certain amount of greenery on the roof yeah. or solar panels or, or stuff like that. But it wasn't, you know, the primary objective of the fund. Yeah, sure. It was almost like a byproduct. Yeah, but that's where the step up in. Um, uh, Ernest is kind of developed with Article 9 mm. where an Article 9 fund was, you know, perceived to be a fund that has primary objectives to be sustainable, to improve, yeah. uh, you know, ESG metrics and so on and so forth. Um, there are people out there doing it. Um, to what extent they have, you know, in, an impact in the real economy, it's hard to quantify. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to quantify carbon emissions accurately there are ways of doing it yes but even on you know in terms of you know the process you go to one of these alternative asset managers um you try and get these questions answered it then it's not an easy it's not an easy done yeah exactly so and you know my 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 big question always around it is you know and i've probably failed in the last three years to actually try and get an answer from anybody around it Mm. is that how sustainable is sustainable investing i mean if you ask, you know, you, your grandparents and our parents are probably the best people to ask in terms of, you know, investing mm-hmm. and really, you know, what you're doing and, and trying to achieve for investing in lemon's terms is trying to put away cash for the future that's going to grow yeah. and compound yep. and guarantee that to the best possible percentage that you can in the future. Now, we know that these ESG funds and ESG companies, they can be, they can run on very low margins. They can sometimes yeah. run on huge losses just in order for them to be ESG. So if Gen Z are looking to invest into these funds, how sure is it that they can actually invest? You know, how, how sustainable can these investments I'll be? Play, and that's the worry that I have with it. I'll I, play devil's advocate. Yeah. So I had a mate that yeah. works in insurance and he was basically, you know, we were talking about, you know, the same topic, ESG. Yeah. Obviously insurance companies hold a lot of, you know, uh, assets on their books and obviously they play some of asset managers, they invest in whatnot. Yeah their criteria as to how to tick the ESG boxes, well, we're not too sure about putting large sums of money with an asset manager that claims to be sustainable. Yeah. But because of the way things are going, regulation and, uh, you know, standards within the industry, yeah, every company, not just in finance, you know, every FTSE company yeah. has to meet certain levels of ESG criteria sure. and sustainability. So, his logic and the logic of the insurance companies were, well, these companies have to meet these criteria anyway. Yeah. So if we just invest in index funds, we'll be ticking that box regardless. Yeah. So it's almost, I'd say that's almost like a cop-out in all honesty, but that's how people are getting around it because we still haven't divorced ourselves from, you know, the belief that it's sustainability at the expense of return i don't think there's been anything out there that's been very prominent or you know evident that's suggested otherwise yeah um but it's an interesting one and you know obviously to bring it back to bricks is that where money's going to start to flow if people aren't 
sure about ESG? Are they going to then start to invest in Will we see a drawback of money from EMs if criteria from, you know, industry states or becomes more strict with regards to, you know, the investment activities into, you know, oil and gas? Yeah. And, you know, unrenewable resources of energy and mining practices. Will we see cash flow out of EM? Yeah. It's an interesting one, but as 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 you know, you know the BRICS politically are very much aligned. Yeah, you know definitely. we see a lot of you know, uh, even as of recent, again uh, another popular narrative has kind of returned is you know the BRICS kind of agreeing on a basket of currencies in which to you know to facilitate trade between countries. Yeah, that could be something in the future. It's, yeah, there um, is speculation I've I've heard between Brazil and Argentina. Yep. Argentina are looking to actually apply to the BRICS. You know, then you're starting to see the Chinese cryptocurrency as well, yeah. petrol yuan, like we spoke about. Yeah, could you start to see another index of currencies coming around? As you say, another basket. You know, it's it's super you interesting. Know. But again, you know, as we've said numerous times, we can't live without the emerging markets and what they provide yeah. at the moment because of how integrated you know the global supply chain is again you only have to look back as far as covid to understand okay when one cog within this global supply chain stops working literally what extent it has on the rest of the world it took three years and you know you could argue we're still kind of you know chopping and changing and trying to sort aspects of covid it albeit you know it's, it's behind us largely now um so it's it's an interesting one in that respect and obviously with regards to return, your risk on investors love EM because yeah. obviously, you know, the volatility, the transparency in some of the currency markets isn't exactly there all the time either. So it's an interesting scope. It's an interesting field. And I feel as though, again, as I said, weak dollar, I, f- I feel as though EM might have, you know, quite a quite good uh, few quarters for the rest of the year. I don't see the US dollar having, you know, a strong, strong rebound no. throughout 2023. And I feel as though, you know, beneficiaries of that is, is EM, is your brings. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that would stop, you know, US dollar from maybe sinking any further would be the fact that, you know, these interest rate cuts are now that yep. starting to be priced in for October and December, you know, to bring us back to 450, 475. Mm. I mean, if somebody came out in the market today and guaranteed that we're definitely not cutting rates, I think all that's going to do is stop the bleeding. I don't think it's going to start adding to USD strength. Very true. I think it'll just stop the bleeding. Building on that point as well, the BRICS are very, very interesting, especially for the guys and girls in the app that are concerned with Forex. Yeah. Because uh, one of the countries that I was looking at closely was Brazil. Yeah. Um, interest rate in Brazil is high. It's yeah. north of 10%. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, a currency that is, you know, a really nice carry, yeah. Brazilian real looks great. You yeah. know, I, I've kind of made the shout. I think the Brazilian real would do well against the US dollar. Yeah. Um, again, I know it's not BRICS, but, you know, a similar story with Mexico as well. The yeah. interest rate's fairly high. Nice carry there too. Yeah. Um, Turkey. Turkish lira as well was another one you yeah. could have potentially got involved in. I mean, how many times did... You know, the USDTRY jump 60, 70%. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, mm-hmm. the only kind of drawback w- with Turkey is the amount of, like, manipulation Erdogan yeah. has with regards to, you know, reserves and the political yeah. stability there. I just want to talk about manipulation, though, in terms of, oh, yeah. you know, government manipulation and not 
true. Yeah, you because know, a lot of people yeah, yeah. think when they hear manipulation, it's people in the markets doing no, it, but it's no, no, no. it's from a top level. You know, yeah, like currency manipulation, for example, could be lowering interest rates to simply yes, just of course, of you know course. peg your currency a lot. Lower. Yeah, so very much you know the macro sort of you know you know geopolitical level. Um, it's not John Kevin at HSBC. It's not. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. And um, also as well with regards to some of these. Uh, markets is they are becoming ever more prominent in the global uh not supply chain but you know just you know in terms of where these countries stack in terms of you know growing population uh yeah. consumer base i mean BRICS is what 42 percent of the world's population something like that something you know ridiculously high and obviously yeah. and their G- i think their gdp is now taking over g7 countries the, the rate of growth within yeah. you know gdp and you know consumer base is, is yeah. faster than developed uh, economies and, and you do expect that but as well in addition to that um one thing i think obviously to bear in mind when you are trading exotic currencies or you are thinking about you say investing into you know mining companies situated in some of these you know bricks or yeah. mint countries um is obviously stability yeah i feel as though you know one thing i i, I think think i saw it probably a few weeks ago with south africa had a downgrade their yeah. credit rating went from triple b to i think it was a double b minus yeah. or something like that and then obviously that's where um you have quite a lot of uh how, how would i say fallout yeah on true. the back of that because obviously with these economies it's quite it's not comparing apples with apples no. you can't china Comparing China to say South Africa is like comparing an app on a pair. Yeah, exactly. You know, China's you know a, a, an economic powerhouse. Yeah. South Africa political instability. Crazy. It's you know it, it's very volatile. Yeah, you know so in terms of you know the impact credit ratings have on the BRICS, it's a lot more uh, substantial and it carries a lot more weight. So yeah. you know it's super interesting to see when there's a downgrade or an upgrade and what risk appetite is in response to that as well. So exactly, and you know when you're getting those credit downgrades, you have to remember where money's really flowing in from. Yeah. A lot of the time, most of the money in the world, you know, undoubtedly flows from Westernized countries. Absolutely. Yes, BRICS countries like China and, and Russia do have their billionaires and a lot of money in there too. Yeah. But when you look further down the spectrum in terms of you know pension funds as well yeah a lot of people a lot of people in the western world invent, invest in pensions mm-hmm. and when we invest in pensions that pension then goes out to other investments and other companies yeah people maybe in the BRICS yeah. countries don't really invest in pensions higher higher unemployment rates you know so it would be harder to see investments in them companies actually coming through as you said if you're investing in south africa and um, one thing even to add to that the liquidity mightn't be there as well exactly less liquidity yeah. more volatile in the stocks obviously yeah of course liquidity and laws and jurisdictions as well just aren't the same yeah and obviously that's we're mm. not we're not saying you know that they're, they're there's great uns- returns to be made but of course we're not saying you know the, the, these institutions are unstable it's simply what me and rory are kind of alluding to is that in terms of where their institutions are in comparison to that of the US or the UK, and there's still a lot to do. Yeah. And let's not forget, you know, I don't know how, I don't know what a percentage is, but, you know, English law is recognised in near enough every single case. It's the standard to which law is upheld and kept. Yeah, it is. So obviously, you know, your institutions, you know, your jurist, uh, your legal systems in these EMs are based off of that. Yeah. You know, your laws of trade, maritime law is governed by English law. Yeah. You know, it's super interesting. But, you know, again, I feel as though, you know, just 
as a blanket statement. I feel as though coming out of the sort of rate hike cycle, dollar coming down, I, I'd get us out like a parrot now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel as though, you know, the rest of this year could potentially see EM you know, yeah. do very well. Yeah. Especially, I feel as though, I think commodities are going to have a good year. And what does that mean? EM's going to have a good year. So. Exactly. Because as we said at the start, EM's backed, you know, heavy, um, yep. heavy mining, heavy commodity co- countries. Yep. So if, you know, they're going to do well, that's where it's going to come from. 100%. 100%. You know, one thing I would just want to add at the end is that, you know, obviously the possibility of World War Threes. it's a topic that's always been looming, you know, oh, since mate, the yeah. since the invasion. Um, obviously the BRICS countries are the, you know, one of the only sort of major EMs that haven't put any um, sanctions on Russia, mm. you know, for obvious reasons. You know, probably one of the most arguable is maybe India. I think yep. India, as, you know, as they sit in the BRICS, I think they're always very tempted to sort of join, you know, over to that sort of alliance of the Western world. Yeah. Because there's a lot of money they know that can come from that, come from America. And I, yeah. But the relationship's just not there yet. The problem with India is that they are sort of governed by the top, you know, uh, on a geographic perspective. Mm -hmm. You've got Russia and China that base, does Russia border India or is it, Uh, or is it Mongolia that maybe borders the top of India? I'm not too sure. Geography wasn't a strong point. I I think it is, but there's China borders and then you basically, Russia runs the whole way along the top. Yeah. It wouldn't be ideal for them to perhaps go against the BRICS, you know, in that sense. And again, you know, India's in a very, very interesting position. As you mentioned earlier, India are innovators within the tech space as well. Yeah, big time. You know, in terms of, you know, the biggest consumers of tech, that is definitely the Western world. And we that's that just the reality Apple's moving to India too. Yeah, again, as 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 yeah. we kind of pointed out earlier in the week, there was an Apple store opening in Mumbai. Yeah. There's another store. I don't know if it's already open, but, you know, there was a sex store opening set for Delhi as well. Yeah. So, um you know, they're very much, you know, aligned with the West. And I think in terms of political kind of um, similarities, yeah. India out of all the bricks is probably one that you could say is most similar to what we have yeah, over in the so. developed world, right? Yeah. But at the same time, let's not forget, India were also buying Russian oil on the cheap yeah, on the exactly. outbreak of Russia, Ukraine. Yeah. So... India have a dance with both the BRICS and the G7 in which, you know, they have to tread very carefully, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I was talking to a guy about that one time, and I mean, you know, when Russia invaded Ukraine, there was a petrol station selling unleaded for 30p a litre. Would you have bought it? <laughs> you know, it, probably, probably, you know, I mean, there's probably. not, there's not too many people around London would have went down to Shell and paid, uh, you know, what, what did it go up to two, uh, two pound five was, or it something? Was, it was high. It was it, high. You know, if, if the man down the road was selling it for 30p, would you take it? Probably. probably yeah, probably. Let's be honest. You know? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> so I think we'll leave it there. I think that was a pretty good one, Mike. Absolutely, Rory. So nice yeah, one. I'll see you next week. Nice one. Cheers.